Please open up your Bibles to the book of James. If you're here for the first time, you know, or have been coming, you know we go verse by verse, chapter by chapter, where started the book of James. We've covered the first four verses of James. Today we'll take 5 through 11. Uh, we talked about last week about the facing trials in your life and how to successfully uh, face those trials. We'll continue that. And we're going to put the emphasis on the entire book of James, and that is spiritual maturity. And if you don't have spiritual maturity, you will not be successful in dealing with the trials and the temptations that will come your way as a believer. And you, once you understand that, that you must spiritually mature, that to be able to handle the trials, the testings that will come, or the temptations that will come, and you would be successful and have victory over those temptations and, and victory over these tests and learn from the tests. You can only do that as you grow and mature in your knowledge and understanding the wisdom of God. We have started the book of James, and we discussed last week the author of this book, James, the brother of the Lord, who humbly, if you notice here in verse 1, describes himself as a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was a willing slave, a servant to whatever God wanted to do in his life. He had free will to just tell him what he'd do and he would be obedient to do it. That should be us if we're spiritually mature. Then he says in the letter, James writes to these Jews living outside of the land of Palestine, outside those, he refers to as the 12 tribes. These are Jews that were spread throughout the Roman Empire of that day, outside of Israel, outside of the promised land. This is what the, who the letter is going to. We also see the theme of James is about the addressing the importance of spiritual maturity in one's life. It's not good enough to just be saved. Do you understand that? Yes, you're saved. You have eternity. Praise the Lord. But that's it? You're going to struggle your entire time while you're living on this earth as a Christian and in this, this quasi-life of carnality at times and highs and lows? Well, we're going to talk about that because James speaks to this issue that was going on in the church of, of believers of that day. So the purpose that James is writing to is understanding how important it is for a believer to have spiritual maturity. That one who has the traits and living out those traits of a mature believer. No longer being just a baby, just a child, just a youth in, the, in spiritually. But literally be a mature believer. And that takes time. Yes, you just got saved. It does take time. You're a baby in the faith. Understandable. You're whining and crying. I, I understand that. But when you're saying you've been saved for a year to two to five to ten your whole life and you're still whining like a spiritual baby, oh, you've got to grow up. You can tell already this is going to be a tough teaching, isn't it? See, as we read the epistle of James, we will discover that these Jewish Christians were having some personal problems in their life. Not only personal problems, but they were also having very big challenges within their church. There was division and conflict and all kinds. 
Yeah, spiritual whining is going on all the time in these Jewish believers in these churches. They're whining a lot. But we see that they are going through difficult trials and tests that God is allowing in their lives to wake them up. To get their attention. They're facing temptations to sin that they thought they would, oh, I got saved, I'll never be tempted to sin again. You obviously did not know the scripture yet. You're still naive, you're still young, you're still a baby, you haven't learned. Because you have to be in the word of God because it's very clear you will have temptations. You will go through tests and trials. These things, a tribulation will be coming. So they had challenges, temptations, testings. But one of the major problems in the church that we see as we read through to James is a failure on the part of many to live according to what they profess they believe. Let me restate, let me state that again. The biggest challenge of people who say they're Christians but they do not live as a Christian. The hypocrisy will cause tremendous problems in their life. And will also have a rippling effect within the family and within the church family. They did not treat each other in the fellowship with equality. There was division between the rich and the poor and all kinds of women and men versus the equality. There was a, a lack of love within the body of the family and the body of Christ. Because they were not maturing. Church members are competing for positions we will see in James. There were positions of power, especially around teaching and around leadership positions. They were fighting to see who could get in power. Like the worldly things that go on. We will see in the chapters to come, the tongue was a very serious problem. They said things that were unloving. We see the fact that this serious problem was even was creating wars and divisions in the fellowship because they could not control their tongue. And then we will see in this book of James, worldliness was another problem. They had no problem bringing in worldly things from the world that the world was doing and where their other lives were. And they were bringing it into the church and demanding the church to change from godliness and a biblical worldview to a worldly view. Well, this is what society and this is what culture dictates and this is what you need to do. And they were allowing it to come into the church and causing tremendous division and problems. And it still happens today. Others were disobeying God's word and was still trying and to act like they're spiritual. But they were actually straying away spiritually and physically. They stopped even attending a fellowship because they knew their lives did not reflect what they said. All of these problems have a common problem or a common uh, cause. And that is spiritual maturity. None of those issues would be happening if the people were growing spiritually. Spiritual maturity is one of the greatest needs in churches today. Spiritual maturity is the greatest problem within a family today. 
You want to know why there's division in the family? Because they're not maturing. You want to know why churches are not growing and not healthy? Because they're not, people are not maturing. How do you mature? But only by through the word of God. And the power of the Holy Spirit not being grieved and allowing the Spirit of God to move in the life of a person, in the life and of a body of Christ. I am absolutely convinced over 25 years in the ministry that spiritual immaturity is the number one problem in churches. Too many churches are entertainment centers for children. Entertainment or social gatherings, enterprises, because they just want to feel good. Meet my, meet my, meet my, my needs, my feeling needs, or my, my social needs, and, and, and provide this for me, and provide this for me, and I want this, and I want that, and I need a little of this, a little of that, and give me lots of sugar and coating and whipped cream on top. And because of those entertainment centers that churches have come turned into, they're not workshops for adults and for growing youth. And that is the problem. God is looking for spiritual mature men and women to carry on his good work. And sometimes all he can find is spiritual babies who cannot get along in the play yard or have no motivation to do anything. That doesn't have to be. But this is what the church was dealing with. These Christians simply were not growing up. I don't know. It may not be video games in their days. I don't know what they were playing and distracting them. But it wasn't the things of God. See, James used the word perfect in the scripture several times, and the word means mature or complete. In verse 2, he said a perfect man. James is not saying a sinless man. He's saying a mature or balanced or grown up. That's what he's asking. That's what he's saying. We must, you must grow up. You need to grow up and you have to have a balance in life here. And you cannot be, continue to act like some child or some youth on hormonal out of balance. But grow up. Be that woman. Be that man of God. It's not based on age. It's based on spiritual maturity. I have met some young men who are barely into puberty are more mature than some men who are in their 40s and 50s because they've been taught the word of God. They believe the word of God. They're willing to do whatever they're allowed to do as a young man to do for God. Motivation, desire to please God. A desire to read the word of God. Desire to understand the word of God. These are the traits of a mature Christian in that he's only nine. Or seven. And I've met them. Oh, I want those men around me, those young men around me, more than some of the older men. Who don't have those desires. Because I know God's going to use that young man in a tremendous way. And I want to see and watch his life. 
In, chapters, uh, in chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, we saw four present imperatives that how to, for us to go through trials in our lives that are being attacked from the outward sense coming in against us. He said there's four imperatives. That means a constant, continuous observance or obedience to do. And those four words was uh, in verse 3, count. We must evaluate a joyful attitude. We must evaluate, do we have a joyful attitude? Do we understand these continuous evaluation or testings in light of Christ and what God is doing in us? That this test, this trial that God has allowed to come in our life, do we see it from God's perspective that he's using this to refine us, to help us to grow spiritually? Do you understand that? Or are you just saying, oh, not another test, not another trial. Can that just go away, please? I don't want to experience this, please. The next word is no. To understand or understanding mind. To know that the word of God and the understanding of the purpose of God in our life makes it so much easier to deal with trials and tests because we understand that when these things pop up that those are God allowed and these are God ordained and we want to know, God, what are you trying to teach me through this? What am I supposed to learn? How am I growing through this? Because we understand in the scripture how he develops patience. Spiritual patience, spiritual endurance in our life is only through the testing of your faith. Faith comes by reading of the word of God. And if you're reading and observing and taking it in and obedient, your test, your faith will be tested to see how mature you are. And when you go through a trial and you realize, oh, I'm not as, as patient as I thought I was. I'm not willing to endure this hardship as much as I'm willing to do. That just tells you, you need to get back in the word of God to build up your faith, your unbelief. You must grow. That's what it does. It just shines a light on you. And that's why these tests and trials are so important in our lives. That we do not avoid them. We don't ask for them. When people say, please, pastor, pray for me for patience. I'm like, you don't want me to do that. You really don't want me to do that because if you really understood the scripture, you would not ask me to do that. Because I trust me, you know, there's going to be enough trials and tribulations that are going to come into your life and testing that God is going to allow. That would be enough for you to handle. <laughs> because, yes, Trust me, I, I've watched your life. I, I, you definitely need to be more tested because you really don't have patience. I can tell. Especially young men. I, uh, young men I love. You just, hey, want to come over to the house? We're going to sit and play a board game. <laughs> you can really know if a young man's tested yet and has patience or not just by watching him do it. Play, play volleyball. You, you'll see how many, who has patience. But these things, this is what, how God does it. I wish there was another way. But that's how trials and testing helps us to grow. And then the other third word, our third imperative was let. We saw that in verse 4, but we will see it also today in verses 9 through 11. And that is surrender, a surrendered will. I let God do the work. Let. Submit to it. Don't avoid it. Don't, it's a life that is, is a life of submission to God. One who God can accomplish his work through. God's goal for our lives is spiritual maturity. So let him, let him do the good work in your life. Stop avoiding it. 
but receive it and to learn from it so that you can grow as a godly woman and a godly man. Today we'll see the fourth imperative, and that the word is ask. It means to believe, a believing heart, one who trusts God. And if you really trust God, you will come to him and ask. You will talk to him and he will ask of the things. Always ask your question, who was the first one you asked when you find yourself in a trial, in a test? Who do you quickly turn to? Do you talk to yourself most of the time? <laughs> After you have those arguments, then you look to see who's to your left and to the right and who's willing to listen to you. Whine and complain. But the question is, do you go to God and ask? See, in verse 5 through 8, we see verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. So if you have a believing heart, you will ask. You're lacking the wisdom and understanding of why this is happening and how to apply it to your life to get the full benefit from this trial, this testing that you're going through. So what do you do? If you want to receive God's wisdom, not the wisdom of man, not your own highly intellectual wisdom, I'm sure you think of in some of you, but literally the wisdom of God, then you will ask God. And you can know right here in verse 5, when you come and ask God, he's not going to restrain it. He's going to give it to you liberally. Which is important. Because when we are going through God's ordained difficulties, what should we do? Pray. Pray for what? God's wisdom. Okay, there's a checkbox. If you, some of you who love checkboxes... Did that speak of you? Check. Do you, do you go and pray and ask God for his wisdom in that trial and tribulation? Just ponder on that. If you do. And if you don't, that's an area that you need to spiritually grow. Because if anyone lacks wisdom, and we all lack wisdom, it wasn't a question <laughs> we've accomplished all the wisdom we need. We know we lack wisdom. Trials bring a necessary season in our life to seek the wisdom from God. He allows these trials and tribulations so that we don't get so comfortable thinking we know everything spiritually. We know everything that's going on. I can Google it. I knew this and I knew that. And he's going to sit there. Oh, yeah, you're turning to man. To find all your wisdom. Oh, you're turning to here. And I'm not saying that's bad. Maybe that's what God's using you to bring you to people who's given wisdom on certain things. But how quickly did you go to God first? That's the question in all of our lives. Who do we turn to first for the necessary wisdom of the testing that is being happening in our lives? We often know, don't know we need wisdom until the time of difficulty actually come in our life. That's why God allows it. And once 
in a time of trial, we need to know in a very particular trial if something God wants us to eliminate by faith. Lord, are you showing me through this test? I need to cut that off? Eliminate that? Get that out of my life? Or, God, is that something I'm supposed to persevere by faith? Because it's not wrong, it's just something I need to persevere through because it's good and right. And it's, it's of you. And that requires wisdom of when you need to cut something off versus persevere through something. Very important that we understand that. In trials, we need wisdom a lot more than we need knowledge. And that's where sometimes where we turn to other people or turn to the Google or turn to it and books. We, we find ourselves, it's very interesting. That we were so ready to turn to books or turn and go to others or to go to the next conference or ex- to anything except God. And consequently, the text which we see here is, let him ask of God. I should have said Google right up front because a lot of times we'll get the knowledge, but then you, how do you actually apply that knowledge that would be pleasing to God, that would be right in this situation? Don't you want it to come from the source of wisdom? So that you do, many times, a lot of us do not like to make mistakes. And many times we get so, so paralyzed by making mistakes, you won't make a decision. You won't move on. You can't move on. Some people in their personalities, if you don't have 100% guarantee and everything is perfect and it's going to be done the first right, you don't do anything. It just really stretches out because you're just like, Worried about you making a mistake. Let me encourage you. Go to God. Seek his wisdom. Ask him. And if you have any doubt, don't move. But if he says move forward, you're like, oh, but I don't know. But if God says it through and he's showing you and he's confirming and he's encouraging you, move forward. Take that step of faith. Trust God. Because you've come to him. You've asked him for his wisdom in the situation of that trial and the tribulation you're going through. Why? Because he says, I will give it to you liberally. All. Not just some of us. But all. The word all means what? All. Right? It all gets to come. We get to liberally receive from God. He's not going to withstand something. He's like, I'm only going to bless you with a little bit of wisdom. Because I don't want your head to get too big. No, no, no. He wants to pour out in your life. Not only liberally, but we say without reproach. Meaning, he's not going to scold you. You know, some people have some challenges from their, taking their earthly father into their heavenly father. And it's like, every time I went to my dad, he would just be irritate, you know, irritated, and he would scold me. I should know this by now. Why haven't you learned? And That's not like our heavenly father. Our Heavenly Father says, come, I'll pour it out. I'm never going to scold you. I'm not going to reprimand you because you've come and asked for wisdom and direction from me. 
you're able to come. And with love, with open arms, just come, ask for wisdom. I know you have a complex life. I understand that. But where do you want to seek? Who do you want to talk to? Who will pour out all that wisdom for you in the situation, circumstances you're dealing with? And not scold you or make you feel bad about it. Oh, that's a, that's a good, good father. Amen? When we want wisdom, the place to begin and end is where? The Bible. Let me say that again. The beginning and end of where we are to receive wisdom is from the Bible. True wisdom will always be consistent with God's word. If you start talking to God, I encourage you, I implore you, I beg you. Have the word of God open and reading and continue to read until God confirms by peace and joy of what he is telling you to do in the situation at hand. Please, I beg you to open up the word and receive his wisdom from his word. You will not do that if you don't believe the word of God is from God. Do you see how the enemy is destroying our brothers and sisters who are not taught the word of God? Because they will not turn to the word of God for God's wisdom. And because they're not receiving God's wisdom, they're turning to everything and anybody else who sounds pretty good. Close enough. Well, they did it that way. It must have worked for them. It seems to be fine for them. Please don't do that. <laughs> Please don't do that. It'll destroy your life. See, the language here in this, just this first five, verse five, is a language that implies humility in coming to God. It doesn't say, let him buy off God to get the answer. It doesn't say, I'm going to demand or coerce God to get my answer. It doesn't say that I'm going to earn it from God to get his answer. No. You freely come by faith and faith alone to trust in the source of all wisdom, and that is God and God alone. And he'll pour it out. And he'll lovingly pour it out to you. James has a great deal to say about wisdom, not only here in verse 5, but wait till we get to chapter, thir chapter 13. Woo. Chapter 3, verses 13 through 18. Woo. You think this was a tough one so far, and I'm only verse 5. Hello. See, the Jewish people loved wisdom. Do you know how we know that as well? The book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs gives absolute evidence of how the Jewish people loved the wisdom of God. So why do we need wisdom when we are going through trials? Ponder on that. Why do we need wisdom when we go through trials? Can't we just pray for the trials just to go away? That's your problem. 
Someone who is not spiritually mature, your first instinct is trial, go away. And what you need to understand is we shouldn't even, even if you don't say trial, go away. I don't like this testing, go away. But you, you're more, a little bit more spiritually mature. You'll say, God, give me strength. That's what you'll ask first. Or God, give me grace through this. Or you may say, God, just deliver me through this quickly. But I'm saying all three of those are good things to pray for and ask God to do that. But the most mature response that we can give if, you're, if we're matured spiritually is that we ask for wisdom for this reason. We need wisdom so we can not waste the trial, the testing that God has ordained in our life at that moment. God, first thing out of our mouth should be, God, give me the wisdom and learn from this test, this trial that I'm in. Yes, Lord, give me strength. Yes, Lord, deliver me through it, Lord. Help me walk me through this dark valley, Lord, this, this situation I find. Myself. But may, as a spiritual mature person, God, and first thing is give me the wisdom to learn from what you're trying to teach me. I want this to, I want this to be fruitful. I want to grow spiritually through this trial. Do you not want to grow? Do you not want to grow up? Do you want to not mature spiritually? Then then you, you won't ask for wisdom. You won't endure and patience and endurance, and long endurance, spiritual endurance to enduring faith. You won't do that because you're just trying to get, take it away. But let me, you heard me say it multiple times. If you did not learn through this trial, guess what's going to happen next? You're going to get another trial. You're, God is, is sovereignly working in your life. He's trying to help you to grow up spiritually. So if you're not willing to deal with that trial and testing, he's just going to bring you another one and another one and another one until you get it. And then after you get it, it's like, oh, Lord, thank you. I should have learned that the first time. Then he says, okay, great. I'm going to wait a little bit and I'm going to bring you another trial that's a little bit more intense because I'm going to take you even deeper and strengthen as spiritually. We ask for wisdom for this reason. We want to spiritually mature. And wisdom helps us understand how to use this testing circumstance that God has allowed for our good and for his glory. Woo! That was verse 1. Okay, let's go into verse 6. Let him... So think about this. James is writing here. Not only does he explain what to ask for in a trial, ask for wisdom, but he also describes how you are to ask for this wisdom. Notice here in verse 6. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. Verse 7, for let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. So we take a look at verses 6 and 7. We see that our request for wisdom must be made like any other request. 
And that is in faith. We must believe, trust who God is. Who we're going to, to ask of this. And we must do it by faith, not by sight. So many times we live by sight by saying, I will come to God when I figured it all out in my head. And then I go, okay, if I did this and I do this and then my checks and balances, my pluses and minuses, I'm weighing it out. I think I've got this all figured out. Then we come to God and say, God, I need you to accomplish my list of do's and keep me from the list of do nots. You're like, a, God's a bellhop. Ring, ring, ring. I figured out my solution. I just need you to, I know I can't do it, so I'm going to ask you to take care of it for me. No, that's not how it works. Immature people, spiritually immature people, that's how you do it. You figured it all out and you rationalize it and you mathematically figured all out the pluses and minuses and risks and all that. And then you're like, okay, God, this is what I want you to do. Hello? Hello? Is he your Lord? Is he your master? A slave does not go to his master and say, Master, I figured it all out. This is what I want you to do for me. Hello? No. You just immediately come and say, God, I need your help. I, 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 I don't know what to do. And as I'm pouring in your word, I see this and I see this and I know I'm not supposed to do this and I know I'm not doing this. And he says right here, you need to come ask in faith with no doubting. That's the first thing. You are going to come without any doubting. You're not going to have doubt. If you have doubt, you know you're not supposed to move until you have clarity from God on what's the next thing you should do. But you don't come with doubting for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. That's a miserable life right there. That's a very insecure life right there because when you sit there and you understand that when you make your request for wisdom be made in faith without doubting God's ability and desire to give us his wisdom. Let me say it again. When we come to him, you must have absolute confidence and belief in who your God is if you know who God is, that he is going to fulfill the desire or the give you liberally what is according to his will for your life. And we pray, we talk to God, so it takes from our will and lines it up with his will. And that means you're spending time with him and talking to him and in his word so that he can possibly have to realign you or help bring clarity to you that what you're asking for would absolutely destroy you. Oh, I am so thankful that God has not answered many prayers that I've asked for. Because hindsight, after I'm spending time, I'm like, oh, Oh my goodness, I, I, if God actually gave me what I was asking for, oh, the pain, the suffering I would have gone through. See, we notice that not only must one come in faith, but one must also ask in faith. And this is where many prayers or many challenges 
where people's prayers fail. Because you don't come by faith, you come with doubt. I'll ask God, but I doubt he'll do it. I doubt he'll give me answer. I doubt I'll never do it. You know, you've been there. I know you have. You haven't, then, then we'll, yeah, we won't go down that path. Um, the great, if that, that's you and where you're doubting coming to God, not only that, you will, you, you, you'll find that, that you're not hearing from God, but it's the greatest enemy to answer prayer you know, is, is unbelief. Your spiritual maturity is reflecting the fact that you have unbelief. Who God is and what he can do. See, we're supposed to come with no doubting. We also say, let not the man suppose that he will receive anything from God. See, the one who doubts and lacks faith should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Because you're coming with unbelief. You're coming with doubt. The lack of faith and the trust in God also shows that we have no foundation spiritually in your life. You might think you do, but you don't because that reveals that you're spiritually immature because you're doubting God. You're coming in lack of faith. That means, as the scripture here that James says, you're very unstable in all of your ways. All of your lives. I can look at your life and I can see you're unstable in every aspect of your life, including work, your relationships, your mental status. You're filled with anxiety and nervousness and worry. Why? Because there's an agitation that is happening in your life. It's called the wind of, of like a sea, and the wind is just driving your life, and you're, you're, you can't even stop it. I don't know why I'm so driven to the drug or driven to sex or driven out of, uh, out of marriage or driven to alcohol and driven in my lust and driven here because there is no spiritual maturity, my brother. Why am I so anxiety-filled? Why am I worrying so much? Why am I so nervous about every little thing? My sister, you're not spiritually maturing. You need to grow. You need to be in the word. You need to be in prayer. You need to be in fellowship. It's so important for you to grow. Because a wave of the sea is so descriptive here. I love the fact that the Holy Spirit gave James this visual because it hinders it's just like this unbelief, this unnecessary doubt. It's like one moment you're up on top of the wave. The next minute you're at the bottom of the wave. The next time you think you're going east, you're now completely sideways and driven to the west because the wind and the things and the, do the various doctrines of wind coming through the churches move people. Oh, we, church, we should be doing this. Did you watch such and such on this YouTube and this? And did you listen to this and then listen? Oh, we should be barking like dogs. It's a really a spiritual experience going on. I mean, the things that go on is amazing to me. Do you know that people go and lay on graves to get the spiritual energy from the dead bodies of the bones? It's, it's insane. Churches, oh, I think we should be just like the world and help get the world in. Let's drink our wine and have our beer together. We study the, study the worship and music. 
I mean, it is out there. Out there. Why? Because they're not spiritually mature. They do not believe the word of God. You could say it all you want to me. But if your life and your, your, what comes out of your mouth and your lifestyle and what you spend your time in doing does not line up with the word of God, not with mine, but with the word of God, don't tell me you're spiritually mature. But I'm encouraging you today. You can start spiritually maturing. Today's the day you change that when you realize you haven't matured because you've been living your own life, doing your own thing, your own experiences. Yes, you know God. Yes, you're saved. I understand that. But don't tell me you're spiritually mature when your words and your actions and where and how you spend your time, what you love. To me, the word love is so absolutely imperative. Because what you love is where your heart is. I'm just asking you, take a step of faith if you're a believer. Even if you're a brand new believer just moments ago. Fall in love with your Savior more than anybody and anything else in your life. Because if you fall in love with him, the spirit of God who lives within you will be so free to give you the knowledge and the wisdom beyond your years. And you will be able to overcome and move through the trials and tribulations that come in your life. Because if you don't, the wave of the sea will cause you unrest. You've ever been on a boat? On a windy day? When the waves are tossing you to and fro? And you cannot rest? You cannot sit still because you're holding on for dear life because you know you're going to be dumped? Or how about unstable? Because as a doubter, you're not going to have rest. You're going to doubt everything you do and you're not going to rest. You're going to have this doubt that's going to cause you to be unstable like the sea. You're, this, being a doubter it will cause you to be driven by you. The minor, the most minor changes in the life will cause you to come un, uneasy. I have set course in my mind. I'm going north. And when God says, wait, really? You're going to go north. Even though the best for your life is going south. Okay, I'll just allow the winds to come. Let's see how you deal with it. A doubter is capable of great destruction. That's what a sea, a high winds on the sea will cause great destruction to the boat you're in in your life. You can be tossed into the sea. Verse 8, not only do we see that we're asking faith and no doubting, But notice in verse 8, the experience of one who he is a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. 
to ask God, but to ask Him in a doubting way shows that you are a double-minded woman or man. If we had no faith, you had no faith in God at all, completely none, you wouldn't even ask at all. Because you have no faith there's a God and who hears you, you're not going to ask. But if you look at the other extreme side, if you have no unbelief, that's the opposite. We have no doubting. You have no faith and you have no unbelief. The challenge in this description of what James is writing is that someone who does believe but has tremendous unbelief. And it's the mixture of those two that causes Christians not to grow. See, according to the writer, double-minded literally means two-souled. The man of two souls who has one soul that loves the worldliness, the earth, and oh, I have no desire to go anywhere. I love this earth. I love this, what the earth offers, the worldliness. That's all I focus on. What can I get out of this world and, and this earth? The other soul is all about heaven, who wishes, I want heaven. I, I, I don't want to go to hell, so I want that much of heaven. You're a two-souled person. You're a double-minded man. That's what you are. Who wishes to secure both, both worlds, to live both worlds, straddle both worlds is what I call it. You got one foot in the world and one foot in heaven, and you're like, uh, let me teeter. It's this coming up the weekend, I just want to be in the world this weekend. Friday, Saturday. Maybe I could try to get to church on Sunday because that's more like a heavenly thing. And it's just like this tossing to and fro, double-minded. You don't know which way you're going to go on certain circumstances because you're double-minded. You're two souls. There's two people. Not schizophrenic, but just two souls going on in the mind. You don't know where to turn because you're just being tossed to and fro. Hot, going up and down with the waves. The man who said to Jesus, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief in Mark 9.24. He was not a double-minded man. Because he wanted to believe. He declared his belief. Oh, I want to believe everything, Lord. I really, I want to believe but his faith was weak. I need, I, need to, I need more faith. I need more of you. I need your wisdom. That is where we want to be. Desiring more of God. Because once you understand instability is an immaturity go together. So if you feel very unstable, unstable, 
There's no stability in your life. There's just no balance. There's no growing. There's no. There's just something's dry and 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 and, and dried up, and it's just anxiety and worries and all these things. I'm just telling you, it all revolves back to your spiritual immaturity, and you need to grow. Question is, do you believe that God can give you wisdom, and that He will do it if you will ask? But you must ask. That's the humbleness you must have. So many people will not ask for help because they're not willing to humble themselves and ask. And how important it is that we learn that. Verse 9 through 11. Let the lowly humble, that's what lowly means, A lowly brother glory in his exaltation, but the rich in his humiliation, because as a flower of the field he will pass away. For no sooner has the sun risen with a burning heat than it withers the grass, its flowers falls, and its beautiful appearance perishes. So the rich man also will fade away in his pursuits. Now it's kind of interesting, as you're studying the scriptures, you go from this, this, this intensity of the writer here, James talking about needing wisdom and coming to God humbly and asking without doubting. If you are, you need to grow spiritually because you're double-minded, you're being tossed to and fro in your life. You have no idea if you're going to be flipping your boat any moment and you're going to sink and die. I mean, all those emotional Extremes. And then all of a sudden the writer turns and says, between the poor man and the rich man comparison. Like I said, James is a lot like Proverbs. You go from this topic and all of a sudden, boom, you're into this topic and he'll come back, boom, into this topic. But they all go together because when you look at the verses 9 and 10, 9 through 11, we see that as much as it's, it's, it's this, this humbled lowly brother is going to glorify because of that humbleness, that simplicity, that contentment that's in his life. He's going to be exalted. And the comparison in verse 10 is, but the rich, there's the transition, but the rich, on the other hand, is going to be humbled because he's not humble because of his wealth. He's relied upon his richness, the resources that he has. See, by faith in Christ, the two are equals. The poor, the, the poor man, the humble, the lonely man, or the rich man, these two are equal in Christ. When the poor brother forgets all of his earthly poverty and not be his identity, and no longer does the rich man take his riches and make that his identity. Once the poor man and the rich man stop making them those positions where they're at as their identity, but their identity is in Christ, they're equal. They're equal. Because Now they trust, regardless of their state of financial state, being poor or rich. As Paul says, I learn how to do what? I learn how to be content if I had a lot or I have little. 
I've had both extremes. I understand both perspectives of the pendulum swing. I know one day I could be poverty, and the next minute God could richly bless me. Or sometimes God could richly bless me, but I could also quickly lose everything. But in Christ, that is my foundation, not my wealth. See, we have to get, as Christians, to understand where we're going to stabilize is have a firm foundation, and that firm foundation is in our relationship with Jesus Christ. Why? Because the, the warning to the rich man is, oh, your life looks so good. Oh, it's beautiful. Look at all you have. Oh, look at beautiful flowers. Oh, they're just growing. They're just magnificent. Oh, I love your lifestyle. Oh, it's just so beautiful. Oh, so good. Look at all you have. Look at all the flowers that you have. But when it heats up, when the heat comes, and heat will come, trials, testing, temptations will come. If you put your trust in the riches of the material things, you're just going to wither up and die. As the writer says here, James, you will not just the flower of the field, it will pass away. Not only will your riches pass away, but notice what James says, you, the rich man yourself, will pass away. There's the warning not to put the riches of the world with such certainty that it will never go away. No, those riches will fade away. How do we know that? Because when you die, all those riches are just going to fade away because you can't take it with you. The question is, is when you come in the presence of God, are your riches Still on earth? Or are your riches in heaven? See, you have to have an eternal perspective. What you do for God here by faith, you get cha-ching, cha-ching in heaven. When you faithfully, humbly serve God and do what God's asked you to do, you're storing up cha-ching, crowns of glory. In heaven. But if you want your riches now, the writer is very clear. That's a very spiritual immaturity perspective because it's very temporary thinking and not eternal thinking. That's worldly thinking, not biblical thinking. And so my encouragement to you and I and all of us that today we choose to continue to grow spiritually into spiritual maturity as the Lord leads. Amen?